You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We are entering into a new month and a new sermon series, which means a new core value. You see, in 2023, we've been going to the next level. And going to the next level means, let's take a look at what Gospelite's all about. We have 11 core values. They spell the acrostic of our church name. And we're in that second word, light, gospel light. And we're on that letter, L-I-G, the third letter. G stands for generosity. And the core value is this, generosity is our way of life as a church. Now, individually, you have to answer that question yourself. And that's what this month is going to be all about. We've entitled the sermon series, Financial Fitness. And we're going to begin this morning with my brother Brett from Las Vegas, pastor of Shadow Hills, preaching the first message. Next Sunday, Daniel Brown, one of our laymen, right here in the midst of our church, is going to preach the second message. And then I'll finish the series off with two sermons, and that'll give us financial fitness for the month. And I'm so excited about this, this series. Brett's going to tell you why you need to be excited. Let me tell you about Brett as he comes. My brother Brett... Uh, has been pastor of Shadow Hills for about five or six years, but he started a church in Las Vegas. He planted a church, uh, and uh, he was there for several years, and then when he pastored Shadow Hills, that church became a campus church of the main campus, Shadow Hills, and it's exploded. It's, It's an incredible work. I get to go back once or twice a year and be with him. This next Sunday, I'll get to preach in in Brett's church at Shadow Hills because his daughter, Reagan, his third-born daughter, his last child, is getting married on Friday night. So our whole family's flying to Vegas, and we're going to all attend the, the, uh, the wedding, and then I'm going to stay after and preach at Shadow Hills. And so I think this is the first time it's ever worked this way. Brett was with Gospelite for almost 20 years. He was my associate pastor and the vice president of Champion Christian College. But I don't think we've ever preached back-to-back sermons at our, uh, at our churches. And so this is going to be really cool. That's why Daniel's going to preach next week. And it's going to be a fantastic, uh, fantastic weekend. So I'm honored to introduce to you my brother, one of our founding pastors. And would you give him a gospel-like welcome as he comes and preaches? All right. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And it is good to be home. Uh, Like Eric said, Hot Springs was home uh, for us really growing up. We moved here in 1978 with our mom, went to junior high and high school here, then came back in the early 90s to start this church. We each had uh, wives and one child. Uh, We had our oldest daughter, Lauren, and Mo was born, and we just pulled into town and started a church with about 25 people. And think about what God has done in this place for the last 31 years is absolutely phenomenal. So it feels like home because it is. It's home because of family. It's home because of church family and so many of you that we've connected with over the years. But I told the 9 o'clock, we had a great service at 9. I told the 9 o'clock congregation this. It's always great to see new faces because that means God's doing a new thing, right? God's not finished with Gospelite or Hot Springs. So for all of you that are new or newer and I haven't met you yet, welcome. And we're so glad you're a part of Gospelite. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've been able to come out with some of our lead pastors at our church in Las Vegas and have a planning retreat. We plan the calendar, and we pray together and all that, and we've come to Hot Springs. 
So shout out to my friends Daniel and Monica Brown that are always gracious to make sure they, that we have a great uh, accommodation. We got to stay in one of their lake houses and get a lot done, but also bring our wives with us this year. My wife Cindy has already gone back to prepare for the wedding, but just of praying and planning, but also hanging out, fellowshipping, and having a great time in the beautiful city of Hot Springs. So it's just great to be here. And it's great to be able to kick off this brand new series, Financial Fitness. I'm preaching today on the subject of biblical generosity. Someone was teasing me and they said, man, your brother, kind of funny joke, he has you come in and preach on giving, preach on money, the one Sunday you're here. And, uh, but I'm getting him back because next week at Shadow Hills, I asked him to preach on politics. So it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm kidding about that. I'm kidding about that. But actually, I love to speak on this subject. Um, I often say it like this, and this is not original with me. When I heard it, I wrote it down. When I speak about the, the discipline, the spiritual discipline of generosity, I'm not speaking as often is thought about pastors as a paid spokesperson. Like, you're a pastor. You get paid. You're, you're supposed to talk about giving. And, and of course, it's not just money. We're going to look at giving to God uh, through the church this morning financially. But, but you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. No, I don't speak about giving as a paid spokesperson. But watch this. As a satisfied customer. Because for years and years and years, my wife and I have just learn this principle that God has and will continue to give to us what he believes he can give through us. And when God trusts that he can give through us, he keeps on and keeps on and keeps on giving to us. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm a satisfied customer when it comes to giving and generosity. So as we start this Sunday to dive into this core value and the fact that as Pastor mentioned here at this church, Gospelite, that generosity is a way of life. We're going to approach it kind of packaged in this idea of financial fitness. So uh, Daniel next week and Eric for the last two weeks, we'll look at different areas. But the reality is becoming financially fit as a Jesus follower, now that's a qualifier, right? Because there's a lot of great places to find out about finances. And there's nothing wrong with that. You might have a financial planner and you might read certain books. You might watch CNBC or whatever. But how many believe that as a Jesus follower, that ought to guide our perspective when it comes to finances, right? And so financial fitness as a Jesus follower essentially means this. Being able to manage our money effectively and productively by following God's economic plan. How many of you know that God's economic plan, that God's words, principles are probably the most sound financial plan there is out there, all right? He is God, right? So we want to get into the Bible and approach this from a biblical perspective. Um, well, here in 1 Corinthians 16, I chose this passage because as the Apostle Paul closes out his first letter to the church in Corinth, he literally addresses the subject of generosity. And specifically in this passage, what it looks like for us to give an offering. Again, for us to give, not really to the church, sometimes it's verbalized like that, but really we're, we're giving to God. We give to God through the local church. So look at, look at verse 1, because he really begins to spell it out in it ought to get our attention. He's very specific. He said, 
here are the directions about the money you're collecting to send to the Christians in Jerusalem. And by the way, these are the same directions I gave to the churches in Galatia. So there's consistency here. On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much money the Lord has helped you earn. And don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. When I come, I will send your loving gift with a letter to Jerusalem to be taken there by trustworthy messengers you yourselves will choose. And if it seems wise for me to go along too, then we can travel together. Well, as we approach this subject of money, all right, if we can just be honest, sometimes it can be a sensitive subject. You know, it, it maybe can make you feel just a little bit awkward. Someone says it's, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. So if you won't make it awkward, then I won't make it awkward either, all right? But it can be a little bit of a sensitive subject um, because it can evoke a, a wide range, I think, of reactions and emotions because money is something that's just really important in the society that we, that we live in. Um, and I guess it, it makes sense because... You know, money is something that all of us have to have, right? We, we have to have it to eat. Anybody like to eat? Man, we have done some amazing eating this week. I have been to uh, the pancake shop. Somebody say amen. It's holy ground right there. Uh, the Waffle House. I love the Waffle House. That's the one restaurant, the one southern restaurant that hasn't moved to Las Vegas yet. We have Chick-fil-A, Cracker Barrel, but we're praying and fasting that one day we'll have a Waffle House. But... Pancake Shop, Waffle House, and Best Cafe, and Don Southern Social. I've been to 501 Prime. I've been to Rod's Pizza. I've been to DeLuca's. That was just yesterday I went to all those restaurants. It, it was amazing. But literally, been all healthy. You got to have money to eat. You have to have money to pay your bills, to take care of your family, a lot of important stuff. Like who here in this room, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually ask you to, to raise your hand here in just a second, would be honest and say that you wouldn't mind, no matter how much or how little money you have right now, you wouldn't mind having personally a little bit more money. Raise your hand if you wouldn't mind. If your hand's not raised, you're a liar. Because <laughs> every, everybody wouldn't mind having a little bit more money, and, and you shouldn't feel bad about that, all right? Um, I mean, wh- which... Which person in here, if we went to a job interview, and let's say the interview was going great and looked like we were going to get the position, and the person said, well, let's talk finances, let's talk salary annually, we can, we can either give you $70,000 a year, or for the same job, we can give you $20,000. You, you choose. Who's going to say, well, 20 sounds good. I mean, I only need 20000 None of us are going to do that. We're all going to say, no, give me, give me the $70,000, and you shouldn't feel bad about that, you shouldn't feel guilty because having money, and even having more money, is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can be a great thing, but, but I want you to hear this, our attitude when it comes to money, our posture when it comes to money and finances and generosity, if we're not careful, um, can become a, a dangerous thing, can become a thing that can become a stronghold in our lives. The 17th century English philosopher, Sir Francis Bacon, and uh, not to give Waffle House another shout out, but if anyone who has bacon in their name is a friend of mine, let me just say that, all right? But Sir Francis Bacon said this, and I think it's powerful. He said, money 
is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Think about that. So if your money, if your things serve you and serve you well, that's wonderful. But if your money masters you, then that is absolutely terrible. But way too many people, and and man, I I always say this, or I like to remember to say this, when I preach, I preach to myself, right, Eric? Like we, we study and God convicts us, and man, all of these truths are for me just as much as they are for you, but way too many people, I think, find themselves being mastered by money. Meaning that much of what we are anxious about and have angst about and and think about and talk about and worry about is money. And that's a terrible place to be. And yet it's all too familiar sometimes for us in our lives. And this isn't just for those who are struggling financially, all right? We can be in a place where we worry about money, but it could be the other side of the gamut. Someone who has plenty of money, like we all can be susceptible to this, 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 angst, this tension between money being our servant, which is wonderful, or becoming our master, which is dangerous. And really, Jesus said as much, if you remember in Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24, listen to this. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then the scriptures are certainly not silent when it comes to money. Here, a few interesting facts as, as you look at the Word of God. I find these fascinating. The main subject, if you think about it, of more than half of the parables that Jesus taught centered around money. Isn't that interesting? In fact, Jesus taught on the subject of money and possession, possessions more than his teaching during his earthly ministry. He talked more about money and possessions than he did both heaven and hell combined. You know that? On average, one out of every seven verses in the New Testament is related to the topic of money. I think we ought to try to figure out why that is. I think there would be several reasons, but... I think maybe the main reason the Bible talks so much about money is that it really can become the number one false god, idol, that can vie for first place in our lives. And so the Lord Jesus Christ knew this was something that he must address. This is something that his people must get right. So what is our proper posture? What is our our proper response to this potential ditch? To this potential amazing servant or this potential terrible master? How should we respond as believers? Well, I I really believe the answer is found in the spiritual discipline of generosity. And again, make no mistake about it, this is a spiritual discipline. So just as believers ought to grow in their prayer life as a discipline, in their scripture reading and Bible study and grow in community in a, in a group and grow in the discipline of fasting and prayer, generosity, giving, letting God give to you so he can give through you, through the local church is a spiritual discipline. And I believe mastering or at least growing in the spiritual discipline of generosity is the best way to keep money in its proper perspective. And so 
We're going to look at five principles. We're going to move through these quickly, so, so stay with me this morning, but I want to try to help you from this passage and then from a few ancillary passages, but five principles about biblical generosity. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. That's at least 40% of it. I'll take it. Kidding, all right? Number one, biblical generosity is an act of worship. Yes. Biblical generosity is an act of worship. Now, I want you to actually look back to chapter 15, if you have your Bibles open. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, as Paul closes out the 15th chapter in the 58th verse, he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. If you're in the habit of marking or underlining things in your Bible, underline, highlight that phrase abounding, excelling. He says that we ought to always excel in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, many of you know that originally there were no chapter divisions in the Bible, right? The chapter divisions are not inspired. The words are, but not the chapter divisions. We didn't have chapter divisions. There weren't verse numbers. Are you glad we have those now so we can kind of navigate and find where things are? But I point that out to say this, that Paul, think about this as one continual thought. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. He talks about the importance of abounding in the work of the Lord at the very end of chapter 15. And then he starts off chapter 16. The very next thing he instructs them in is what? Giving. Generosity. Why? I submit to you because giving and generosity is a very important part of what it looks like to abound in the work of the Lord. He said, always excel in the work of the Lord. And by the way, here's one way to do that. Here's one way to flesh that out through the discipline of generosity. Maybe we don't always, if we're honest, maybe we don't always think about money when it comes to the church, money when it comes to generosity, giving of a tithe, giving of an offering, just like that. We, we think of it more like, man, they're, they're talking about giving again, right? Um, I, I've been in, in, in pastoring about as long as my brother, and man, I've heard that, you know, it's like, man, give, give to this, and give, give in the offering, and give, give to the building fund, and give to missions, and on and on and on, and it can become um, maybe white noise to us. Remember Charlie Brown's teacher, how he heard his teacher in those, wah, 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 you know, it's offering time again. We don't think about it as an act of worship that it literally is. It's so much more than just, all right, let's check this off the list. Let's give an offering to the church. It's an important part, just as important as when we sang this morning, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. That was the first song. If you missed it, get here on time. Amen? Um, But it has that part. And we won't be quiet. I always shout out, no, we're going to shout out your prayer. Just as much as that is important, just as much as our response to the word of God is important, our giving, our generosity, this part of church life is worship. Paul talked about it in Philippians, actually. Look at Philippians chapter 4. He said this. You Philippians know from the time of my first mission work in Macedonia how no church shared in supporting my ministry except you. You sent contributions repeatedly to take care of my needs, even while I was in Thessalonica. 
So I'm not hoping for a gift. I like the way he puts this. I'm not hoping for a gift, but I am hoping for a profit that accumulates in your account. I now have plenty. And it's more than enough. I'm full to overflowing because, because I received the gifts that you sent from Epaphroditus. And then watch this. Look what he says about those gifts. Look what he says about the offering. Those gifts give off a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God. So what gives off a fragrant aroma in the nostrils of God? What is an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God? Your generosity, your offering, your giving to God through the local church. Paul said literally, this is an act of worship. Versus, and I think he's kind of saying this in contrast to, do you remember how the Pharisees approached their offering? They get a little bit of cash out, they maybe put it in the plate or give a donation to the synagogue, and the Bible said, Jesus said, they would get a trumpet. They'd give and they'd grab the trumpet and blow it. Hey, look what I just gave! And it became all about them. And in contrast to that, says Jesus, no, he rejected that kind of giving. That kind of giving is man-centered and and, and it's, it's, it's not God-focused, but yet giving to God through the local church with a sincere, honest, pure heart is worship. Number two, biblical generosity should be systematic, all right? It might not be a glamorous point, but it's right here in the text, all right? And it's important. It's very important. It should be an act of worship, but it also should be systematic. Look at two again of Chapter 16, Paul said on every Lord's day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. So he said, every Lord's day. Now in the New Testament, we, we see a shift when it comes to weekly worship, right? It's no longer the Saturday Sabbath that they observed in the Old Testament. Now we gather on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And we know gloriously and victoriously we meet on the first day of the week because it commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen? Amen, all right? So it's an amazing day. It's the, it's the first day of the week. And Paul says, now, under the new covenant, this is when the church gathers. But it's also the day, he says, right here in this text, that we should plan to give. Now, in, in today's culture, with how we um, use money, largely being electronic and online, like my wife and I, we have reoccurring giving set up online with our tithes, offerings, we give special gifts so we may not always give on Sunday, right? Maybe, maybe your tithe or offering comes out of your bank account on a Wednesday. But, but the idea is, is that there ought to be consistency and there ought to be a system in our giving. That our giving to the church should not be haphazard. It shouldn't be inconsistent. It shouldn't be hit or miss. And let me just stop and say this. Um, man, if you're our guest today, if you're visiting with us today, yes, this message is for you because these biblical principles can be real in your life 100%. But let me just say, if you're new here, um, th this message is not for you in the sense that we're trying to get you to empty your pockets, all right? Your, your gift to us today is your presence. Just the fact that you have come to Gospelite, that is your offering 
for today. But for the rest of us, please know that Paul's saying, hey, there needs to be a system, not haphazard, not hit or miss. I feel like this is a good inventory question to ask yourself. Um, my wife and I do this often, really yearly, as we reevaluate. We do a special giving challenge at our church every year, 90 days long. We try to get people to begin to tithe and give. It's not something they've started to do yet. But then for our existing givers, we say, hey, for 90 days, would you, above your tithe, give a little extra to this project? And so every year, my wife and I, we evaluate what, what is God laying on our heart? How can we give sacrificially? And we ask ourselves often, and I challenge our congregation at Shadow Hills in Las Vegas to ask this question. If everybody in our church purposed to consistently engage in the spiritual gift of generosity, just like we do, just like my wife and I do, what would the spiritual health of our congregation be? If everyone, I'm talking about giving amount, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but if everybody had the same posture, we're going to give 10% or more of our income, we're going to give an offering, we're going to give sacrificially, we're going to give from the heart. If everyone in our church did it just as we did, or don't do, what would the health of our church be? Could we effectively continue to reach hot springs with the gospel like we've done for 31 years if everyone gave like you and if everyone gave like me? I think it's a fair, honest question to ask yourself. Would we have this amazing, wonderful facility to worship in? Last year when I came to preach, I preached over in the Champion Building because we had no AC in here. How many of you are grateful that we have amazing air conditioning and the remodeling of the facilities and just the whole miracle of, of getting all of this property? And Eric talks about the Champion Community Center. I mean, do you realize what miracles God? I know you do, right? But it's unbelievable. But could we keep these facilities? Could we, could we turn the lights on? Could we make sure that, that our missionaries are well-funded? If, if everybody gave like me, could we give the preacher a big raise? Amen, Brother Eric, all right? I can say that because I can't say it at my church, and I'm hoping he's going to say that next week. But honestly, I look at it like this. Like if Eric gets a raise, I get a better Christmas present. So it all works out. But I'm, I'm kidding about that, all right? But if everybody engaged in giving like me, could we reach around, around the world with the gospel? Um, a rule of thumb that Cindy and I, through the years, have set up that we give to the church when we get paid from our employer, right? So I'm an employee of Shadow Hills Church. I'm the senior pastor, but I'm an employee. I get a paycheck like everybody else. My wife works for a, a private Christian school in town when she gets paid. So whether that's every two weeks or every week or once a month or whatever that looks like. But the idea is, is we have, like Paul said, a system. And that said, really, in several places in the Bible, it talks about giving our first fruits. Um, I've heard it said like this, and I, I think it's kind of um, cute, easy to remember. Like, give God what's right, not what's left. I should use this hand, right? Give God what's right. Give God what you ought to give him. Don't just give God what's left. I find sometimes when I counsel people about giving, 
and they want to know, Pastor, man, we, we want to do it. We try to do it. And so here's what we've done. We've, every month we get paid and we pay our rent. We pay our mortgage, whatever we have to pay. We pay our kids' tuition. We make sure we have enough food. We, gotta, you know, we want to have a few uh, uh, times we can go to out, get a bite to eat, maybe go see a movie. But then at the end of the month, we don't have enough money really to tithe. And I try to encourage them lovingly, biblically, scripturally, give God first. Make it the very first. Is everybody okay? Amen. Amen. All right. Make it the very first thing that we do. Give God what's right. Don't give him what's left. So the principle is this, that God and God alone should be more important, should come before everything else, before every other obligation that we have. That, that, that's the principle. But let me tell you, the reality. And this comes from the satisfied customer part. When I give God first, he always takes care of everything else. And by always, I literally mean always. I'm not saying we never struggle. I'm not saying we, man, I'm marrying off my third daughter. Y'all pray for me. Amen. Like my wife, she's doing the, la- the, the hard work, the hard labor. Uh, my daughter wanted my wife to make her wedding dress. I'm like, that's an easy ass from your mother, you know. So my wife is making the wedding dress. My wife is uh, making all of the food for the reception because Reagan wants our special Italian red gravy. And if you've never had it, you've not been fully sanctified. But I mean, this is a lot of work. And every other day, Cindy's saying, I had to put this on the credit card. We had to rent these tables. We had to buy this. We had to buy that. Like... I'm, I'm going crazy right now, you know, but it, so I'm not saying that you never have to have a budget. You ought to. I am saying this, that when we tithe, God always provides and gives exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. Just look at Malachi 3.10. He, it's the only place in the scriptures where he said, test me in this, test me in this, and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you will not be able to receive. And I'll say after 30, 40 plus years of ministry, it's always, always been true. Um, so anyway, um, when we put God first, he always takes care of the other parts. Principle number three, biblical generosity is marked or should be marked by personal sacrifice. The key there is the word personal. And again, in verse 2, it said, on every Lord's day, each of you. So not just certain people that have the gift of giving. (laughs) Um, And I believe it is a gift, right, that some have in a special way. But he said, everybody, individually, each of you, every Lord's day. So giving, our giving, my giving, in a large sense, yes, is a personal thing. It's one of those things in the Christian life that that I can't do for you, right? Like, I, I, I can't give your money. That'd be bad, right? And you can't do for me. Think of it like giving or donating blood. I, I can do that, but if I try to go get your blood, that's going to get weird, all right? It's a personal thing. It's about personal sacrifice. And, and, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I wanted to come back to it because I want you to hear this. This is one of the most important things I'll say as we wind down this morning, but it's not about the size of your gift compared to others, so don't live that way. I can't give what they give, and I heard this person gave this large donation. Thank God for that, all right? So it's not about the size of your gift compared to others. 
but it is about personal sacrifice. I often tell our church it's not about equal giving, but it ought to be. It ought to be about equal sacrifice. Um, it's personal. In fact, I love the fact that the one person in Scripture that Jesus pointed out as being the most sacrificial giver was the impoverished widow who gave the equivalent of two pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else in the whole church. Why? Because she gave everything she had. So it's about sacrifice. Not necessarily the amount. That depends, as Paul said in the passage, upon how much God has given you this week or this month. So biblical generosity is an act of worship. It ought to be systematic. And it ought to be marked by personal sacrifice. Number four, biblical generosity promotes unity. This is beautiful. We see it in the passage. I have a sign in my office that says this. The divided world needs a united church. How many of you believe our world is divided in so many different ways? Man, our world, our nation, the state of Arkansas, you name it, there's division. And this is a place that can model unity. Divided world desperately needs a united church, and generosity promotes unity. The best way, I think one of the best ways to detach yourself from dependency upon money and or things, and this is kind of oxymoronic, a lot of things that Jesus did didn't make sense. He turned a lot of logic on its head. But one of the best ways to rid yourself of dependency on things is literally to start giving things away. It's true. You'll become less dependent on having to have things when you become more generous in just giving things away. It, it promotes unity. Now let's look at the text again, or at least the context of the text. One of the specific reasons that Paul was taking up this particular collection at the church at Corinth was to raise money for some impoverished Jewish Christians. Now if you study into this, there was a group of people that literally were starving to death. They didn't have enough you know, food to eat. And so Paul said, look, we, I want you Gentiles to take up an offering and we're going to help feed these Jewish people, but track with me because I think Paul had a larger, deeper motive in mind. He knew, right, that Jewish and Gentile Christians, even though they had come together now under the umbrella of the gospel, they still were kind of suspicious of each other. Like the Jews looked at the Gentiles in this way and vice versa, and they were, they were predisposed to, to, to having some division being in opposition towards each other. So I think that Paul's thinking, if I could get these Gentiles to start thinking and focusing on the needs, and not just the needs, but the culture and the context of their Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith, this will go a long way from building unity. Generosity can do a lot of things. It does more than just keep the lights on and make sure that we still have active ministry. So Man, these baptism stories today, this was unbelievable, amen? Um, those testimonies, every dollar we give eventuates in the gospel being spread, right? So generosity does so many things, but not only that, Paul says it can break down relational barriers, it can break down cultural barriers, because when I invest in you, and, and by the way, one of the things we do when we give is we bless one another, right? When I invest in your growth, 
in your health, in your well-being, I also come to love and accept you in a deeper way. If you tithe to this church, I know our schools charge tuition, right? But it's also offset by the giving of this ministry. Our our schools are ministry of this church, and we make no bones about it. You may say, well, man, I wonder if part of my tithe, I mean, I don't know exactly how the budget works, so I'm kind of, maybe I'm speaking out of school, but my name's Capace, so I'm just, and I've got the microphone, so I'm going for it. But but maybe maybe part of what I'm giving is going to help supplement some of the needs at the school. I don't have any kids at the school. Hey, we're in this thing together, right? And so as I give and bless you, we become unified. I grow in love because we're in this thing together. We're better together, by the way. And one of the best ways to flesh that out is to pool, watch me, to pool our financial resources for a common goal. So you may give online, and you may give in the box, and you may stop by the church and say, here's my check. We got one guy that comes by every month, and he, he gives several thousand dollars in cash. Scares me half to death. I tell our people, like, put that thing in the safe right away. He just, you know, doesn't, doesn't want anybody to know, and, and that's fine. You know, I also don't think there's anything wrong with having a giving record, and that way you can file it on your taxes. But, but the point that I'm making is, is that when we're generous, when we pool our resources together for a common goal, we can do, we can change the world, and we become unified. And God's plan for making that happen that's laid out very clearly in the New Testament is giving and sharing our resources together, together, together in and through the local church. Let me just give you one last thing, and I'm done this morning, biblical principle number five, biblical generosity reveals our heart. really does. It, It reveals our heart, what's really important to us. Look at 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 7. Paul said this, let each one give thoughtfully, and by the way, real quickly, sorry, this, this is the amplified version. Sometimes I like to look at the amplified uh, version because it kind of gives several different renderings, definitions, um, uh, meanings of the word in both the Hebrew or the Greek, and so it kind of builds it out a little bit. So look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7, amplified. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided, what? In his heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in, look at this, and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. I remember hearing a preacher or preachers say this when I was growing up. I told the nine o'clock crowd, I remember preachers saying a lot of things when I was growing up that I'm trying to forget still, amen? Oh, sorry, but, but a lot, there was a lot of really great stuff too. But I remember a preacher saying this, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll accept an offering from a grumpy person as well. Um, and I guess that's true, but that really takes away from what we're being taught here. That God loves it when we give from our hearts. He delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Because church, what kind of giver is it that God loves? A cheerful giver. It reveals that we're in love with Jesus. 
It reveals that we understand who we are in Christ and because he has given us everything. It is our joy to give back to him a portion of what he has given to us. I love, and I'll close with this, I love the story, um, and many of you know it, but of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, And we won't turn there for the sake of time, but just a synopsis of his testimony. It's found in Luke chapter 19, but remember Zacchaeus was a very rich tax collector. And tax collectors back then were, were notorious. They were famous for all the bad reasons. They were, they were thought of as being crooks, primarily because they were. All right? like, I mean, this, so, so that's how the world viewed Zacchaeus. Um, that's how his peers viewed him. Uh, but Zacchaeus had heard about Christ. Remember, he t- uh, uh, went to the top of that tree just to try to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus like, hey, bro, you and I hanging out today. I'm con-. He invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house and has this interaction with him. And eventually, Zacchaeus comes to miraculously turn his life around and find Jesus as his Savior. And the very minute, the very minute that Zacchaeus gets saved, what did he say? What was his reaction? He said, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. Like his reflexive change on accepting Jesus as Savior was, man, I need to be generous. He was the stingiest crook around. No offense, right? I mean, but he was, and, and the first thing when Jesus came in, it was like, he said, I'm going to give half of, of all that I have to the poor. And then he went a step further. He said, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. And Zacchaeus' testimony teaches us this amazing lesson that really is the whole message today when it comes to, when it comes to generosity. Well, let me, let me step back and say this. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give back four times to anybody I've defrauded. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Jesus told him, not only did you get saved just now, but in a couple of minutes, everybody in your house is going to get saved too. Look at the story. Do you have loved ones that you're praying for? Wayward kids, relatives, coworkers, neighbors, people that are on your, I know you do, that you're praying for to come to Christ. Christ said one of the principles in unlocking God's grace and salvation upon those that we love is when we model generosity. He said, hey, Zach, your whole house about to get saved. But where I was going is the, is the principle that Zacchaeus teaches us in this story is this. Um, I mean, he was doing well. He was rich. He had lots of options. He had lots of choices. Before he met Jesus, he had money. But Zacchaeus teaches us this. That although money can give us options, only Jesus can make us free. And so, so that, that, that money, that, that raise, that thing that you're holding on to, and, and look, man, I understand. We've all been through those seasons. But all those excuses in your life that are saying, man, if I, if I let go of this, I'm going to lose this. No, no, money might give you options, but only Jesus can make you free. And Zacchaeus screams that to us this morning. Free to live a life with open hands. Free 
to give away generously a portion of what God has so freely given to us. You know, when I get up and talk about giving at our church, whether it's taking the offering or preaching a series of messages like this, and I, and I say this really with just not only humility, but just gratefulness to God, I can speak about a lot of things, but, but this subject, maybe more than any, very freely and very openly, because I've experienced it myself, and I so want it everybody in our church family, everybody in my church family here at Gospel Light to get a hold of these biblical principles about giving to God through the church. Well, if you're able to stand this morning, would you just stand with me right where you are? Just stand at this very moment. And if you're not able to stand, that's absolutely fine. You can engage in this time of response right where you're seated. But if you're standing, would you do me the favor of bowing your head and closing your eyes? And often we say this, not just ritualistically, but we really want this to be a holy moment. A moment where we can just kind of reflect, think, man, what is God telling me today? So I don't know how response looks for you this morning. Maybe you're standing next to a spouse or a loved one or a child and you reach over and grab their hand or draw them closer to you and you pray together, you make a commitment to God, you make this a holy moment. We've talked about people that are new to the faith and even new to this church, and maybe you're still wrestling through what would it look like for me to even start a relationship with Jesus. I mean, this pastor's talking about tithing. I'm not even sure I know Christ yet. And by the way, this is a safe place. This is an accepting place to come and figure out what it would look like for you to be saved. And so this morning, maybe God is calling you to make a commitment to accept Christ. You saw baptisms, and you're thinking, wow, I wonder if that's my next step. So whatever... God's doing in your heart, whatever commitment you need to make, whatever prayer you need to pray, I hope that you'll do business with the Lord. That you won't leave here this morning without something in your heart, in your mind, your life changing, going to the next level. So as soon as I pray and as soon as our team begins to sing, Pastor Eric or other leaders will be up front and then feel free to to walk down the aisle. This is a safe place. We're not going to embarrass anybody at all, but we just love to pray with you about your spiritual need, your prayer request, something that's burdening you. Let us know. Come down. And maybe it's just you're going to sing, you're going to pray right where you're standing, and that's great too. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful today that you have seen fit to let us be a part of your activity to ride the wave of gospel activity at Gospel Light in Hot Springs, Garland County, and for 31 years around the literal globe, fueled by what you talked about so often in Scripture, our tithes, our offerings, our gifts. Challenge us today. Challenge us. Wherever we are, challenge us today, we pray. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for the opportunity.